So it's a pleasure being here once again and tonight I would like to speak on if you really love the master you will likewise break your alabaster so all scriptures will be read from the King James Version Bible and I'll start just before Jesus offered himself, capital H, as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, one of his followers, who felt eternally grateful to him, capital H, broke the lid of her alabaster box and anointed his head with all of her very expensive ointment. On seeing this, some of his disciples protested concerning that supposed waste. On the heels of their protest, however, Jesus intervened, defended the woman, and added the following. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she had done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. So that was read from Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Now, the declaration, generally speaking, is unknown to the body of Christ worldwide. And of the few that are aware of its existence, the subscription ratio is, without doubt, almost zero with respect to its compliance. Now, this statement of Jesus is not a promise, but a wishful command. And as such, cries out for obedience as any of Jesus' other commandments. Now, the lack of understanding of and the non-compliance with this simple commandment is one of the reasons for the sad state of affairs that exist in the body of Christ today. To be sure, Jesus still expects us to obey this commandment today. Now, if those who are commissioned by Christ to propagate his gospel of salvation only understood the serious implications which are inherent in this commandment, and instructed their converts accordingly, we would easily have equaled and would have long surpassed the achievements of the early church of which it was recorded. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, which states, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now the question I would like to ask, brethren, 
is why was the scripture in Acts chapter 17 verse 6 mentioned of the early church? And why the opposite situation seems to be the norm today? Now the answers to these questions are the early church surely understood taught and obeyed Jesus' command of Mark chapter 14, verse 9. What then did Jesus mean by this pre-crucifixion commandment? That is a question that one might ask. If nothing else, Jesus wanted all his followers to know that nothing that his disciples possessed must be considered too costly to be used for his cause and glory. Yes, brethren, no sacrifice should be considered too great to be made for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. In short, Jesus wanted to make it quite clear that Christianity calls for sacrifice in this day of grace and to highlight this fact i will now quote another more startling statement of jesus christ than that of mark chapter 14 verse 9 and the following relates from luke chapter 14 verse 26 which states if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and the children and brethren and the sisters yea and his own life also he cannot be my disciple so i just read from luke chapter 14 verse 26 then he added in luke chapter 14 verse 27 now the following scriptures and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple today people unknowingly make a mockery of jesus by wearing crosses to look good but to jesus the cross meant death even the worst form of death that existed then therefore when Jesus spoke of taking up one's cross, he was attempting to communicate to us the fact that following him demands the committing of oneself in total obedience to him, even to the point of death. Yes, brethren, Jesus was simply informing us in the scriptures that I read that if we are not prepared to put him and his teachings first in all things, then we cannot be his disciples. Now, what a far cry that these requirements are from the easygoing, non-sacrificial lifestyle that is typical of Christianity today brethren of jesus brethren if jesus 
because of, of his obedience to his father and his unfathomable love for lost humanity was willing to break his alabaster in the garden of Gethsemane and at Calvary. We too must be willing to break all alabaster boxes in sacrificial service to the King of Kings. For Jesus surely desires it. Now, the fact of the matter is this. Every saint has at least one alabaster box of precious perfume that Jesus desires to us to use, sorry. One of Abraham's alabasters was his beloved son Isaac, for whom he had waited some 25 years. The story is well known. As soon as his son had reached the threshold of manhood, God asked him to sacrifice the lad. Abraham, without questioning God, immediately took steps to carry out God's wish. However, at the point of executing his command, God replaced Isaac with his own ram. And because of Abraham's willingness to break his alabaster, God confirmed his blessings on him with a personal oath, which is in Genesis chapter 22, from verses 16 to 18, Hebrews chapter 6, from verses 13 to 14. So one can read such on his or her own time. Now, brethren, the scriptures shared and the ones I've read before were surely Abraham's. The scriptures shared in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 to 18, and Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 14, was surely Abraham's second alabaster. The first being his positive response to God's call to leave the country of his nativity to go to an unknown promised land as hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 to 10 confirms as for moses his broken alabaster is beautifully chronicled for us in the following text so i'll be reading from hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 to 27 which states by faith moses when he was come to years refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So that was Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. So the scriptures shared, brethren, those references should suffice as evidence of godly men of Old Testament times who willingly broke the alabaster boxes and lavished the contents on Jesus' head. 
in this New Testament dispensation also. There is no shortage of faithful saints who cheerfully broke their alabaster boxes for the cause of their master. In this regard, Peter and Andrew, James and John, who, for the cause of Christ, abandoned their family's fishing business, are the earliest examples of those who broke their alabaster boxes for the cause of Christ. And shall we forget Matthew, the civil servant, who also left his job to follow Christ? No, we must never forget those who, in the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, broke their alabaster boxes for our Lord and for his cause. Surely, on this question of the breaking of one's alabaster box, one can never forget the beloved Apostle Paul, who described the breaking of his alabaster box in the following text. So I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 78, and it states, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. So that was Philippians chapter 3, verses 78. And time saints, we must never forget the sacrifices of those first century saints who joyfully broke their alabaster boxes by laying down their lives so that we may have a New Testament with which most of us are little familiar. What a shame it is to us who live on the thresholds of Jesus' return. There must be a reversal of this sad state of affairs which exists in the body of Christ today. If we ever expect to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So that's Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Now, the question I would like to ask is, how can we reverse this sad situation? The following, brethren, should be helpful. In our converts classes and especially in our continuing discipleship classes, we should always follow water baptism. We must ensure that Jesus' commandment of Mark chapter 14 verse 9, quoted in the second paragraph, is taught and thoroughly understood by every convert. So Mark chapter 14 verse 9, we must teach that commandment. Now, if this is done, we would never have Christians talking about revival without being willing to engage in serious travail. Moreover, the worldly spirit of Lot, with its persistent pull towards the plains of this world, Sodom and Gomorrah and Zohar, would find fewer willing subjects in our assemblies today. Of this, I am absolutely sure.
So if brethren replay what I had mentioned about the body of Christ worldwide, what is not unknown, and the statement of Jesus is not a promise, if you go back to that paragraph that I had read, and then you read Mark chapter 14, verse 9, with what was written in the scripture, you will have an understanding of what is it that I'm trying to say. So brethren, let us join our father Abraham, who, although he had all of Palestine at his disposal, nevertheless looked for a city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. And shouldn't we be inspired by the sacrifices of untold numbers of Christ's early disciples, who, for the cause of Christ, sealed their testimonies with their blood, and by so doing, have left us with good examples of genuine Christian love? And can we forget Stephen, who, at the time of the breaking of his alabaster box, beheld our Lord standing in heaven on the right hand of God the Father? What an indictment this is to all non-sacrificial characters. So brethren, in closing, may I remind all true communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he has no change of heart with respect to the exhortation he gave in the gospels of Matthew chapter 26 verse 13 and Mark chapter 14 verse 9. So let us not lapse in our commitment to instruct all our members accordingly, even as Jesus commanded us to do. And to all Christians everywhere, I am appealing to us to follow the examples of the saints of yesteryear, who willingly broke their various alabaster boxes and poured out their lives for the cause of Christ. For if we would but set our affection on things above rather than on things on the earth, I am sure that we would be more aggressive in winning the lost. For if we really love the master, like Mary, we would gladly break our various alabasters. And the question I would ask you today, brethren, will you break yours? Now, if on this question, you still have cause to ponder the following poem that I'm about to share, you should earnestly consider. And it goes like this. Oh, Christian friends, this must not be. We dare not live indifferently. Soon it will be eternity. Christ still depends on you and me. At Gethsemane, and at Calvary, he did break his for you and me. And shall we still complacent be while millions die in misery? This issue, friends, is no mean matter while multitudes we witness suffer. Some could be snatched from Satan's power 
if we would but break our alabasters. So that's the end of my segment today, brethren. I will be live next week again. I do hope that this message will be able to touch someone live. And I do hope that persons will be able to share the message so that other persons who are seeking truth, clarity, and understanding in this holy will would be able to have such. So brethren, have a safe and productive week. Remember that Jesus Christ will be returning and he will be returning soon. We are all and must ensure that we prepare ourselves for his return, brethren. So brethren, bye for now.